Financial problems can be stressful, exhausting, and embarrassing. At the law offices of John T. Orcutt, we've been practicing bankruptcy law for more than 30 years. We've seen it all, and we're here to guide you through this uncertain time. Tune in as we walk you through the bankruptcy process, the myths, the misconceptions, the secrets, and answer your questions that have been keeping you up at night. Ready to put this chapter of your life behind you? Let's get fresh started. Today I spoke with Matt Schmidt. He's been practicing law for about 12 years and has held licenses in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. The second half of that has been spent with a focus on bankruptcy law. The topics we've discussed were about the similarities and differences between Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. We looked at a few examples, like a home, a car, or other secured debts, and what would happen with each of those upon a filing of a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. We looked at the exemptions and what that means. We also talked about what is a trustee, who are they, and what does it mean for your case. We discussed the means test in great detail and how it might keep someone from filing one case or another. We discussed why some people have a great preference for consolidating their monthly payments, the super discharge, debt limits, and converting a case to capture new debts. And with that, I give you Matt. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today. One thing that I thought everyone loves to hear about, we get a lot of people researching this. And when people first come in to see us, they're always like, I want to file a chapter seven. We're like, well, wait, 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 maybe, maybe not. Chapter 13 has, you know, some benefits too. One's not better than the other. And I thought perhaps we would shed a little light on this subject by starting with, let's start with first where they're similar and then get to how they're different. Sure. So the code has, and again, thank you for having me on today, but the code has two different chapters that it kind of applies to consumers, which are individual people, not a business or anything like that, that are really the most readily available to them, the chapter seven and the chapter 13. There are differences, but there are similarities as well. The similarities would be that your objective in both cases, you're going to file a petition with the court, and that is going to generally earn you what is called an automatic stay. That automatic stay is temporary order, but it does tell all your creditors to stop contacting you, stop collecting you, stop collecting against you, to leave you alone, basically. And that order is what most people are looking for to get pretty quickly to get these creditors off their backs so that they can get some sleep at night. And while the case is progressing, that's going to give them that peace of mind that they're protected. Now, there are exceptions to that that we don't need to necessarily go into, but you know, obviously that's the general rule. That's the temporary order called the automatic stay. And what you're seeking at the end of your case in either Chapter 13 or Chapter 7 is a discharge order, and that's an order from a judge stating that you are now no longer personally liable for the debts that are dischargeable. And for an individual or a consumer, that's going to be most of your debts that you're usually dealing with are going to be usually unsecured debts and debts that are dischargeable. There are some differences here. We have, obviously, we have a difference between an unsecured debt versus a secured debt, where there's collateral, like a car loan or a home with a mortgage on it. Those are secured debts. They're going to be slightly different or treated slightly differently. Well, we're talking with clients about this. Sometimes it was what the difference was. And like you're saying, car loan or mortgage, you know, is there something tangible? Is there uh, something as collateral? Is there something physical that is attached to? Because it could be trailer, boat, motorcycle. Is there a license plate? You know, that's a good one. And then the house. But for our purposes, that would be secured debt. So secured by property. 
Right, some, some sort of an asset that you've given through the agreement you had with them or, or some other instrument, that you've given them this interest that is more than simply your promise to repay. They they can kind of enforce that. And so you can maybe uh, discharge your personal obligation to repay those things with this bankruptcy, but you're not necessarily, you're not going to be able to keep these things for free. In either case, you're going to have to contemplate what you want to do with these secured debts. You want to keep paying for them? Do you want to surrender them? And both Chapter 7 and 13 have mechanisms for dealing with that. The last, I'll kind of lump it all together, but there's a last kind of class that you would need to be concerned about is there are some debts that are not dischargeable, either never dischargeable or rarely dischargeable or not dischargeable for a certain amount of time. They might be called priority debts or simply non-dischargeable debts. Some examples of those would be tax. Yeah, student loans are very, very hard under the current law to discharge to the extent that I would say basically figure that you're not going to discharge your student loans. So more information on that. They can watch the one with Ed. So I grilled Ed on that one for a while. We have another podcast about that. Taxes for a certain amount of time, generally about three years, are going to be non-dischargeable. They'll be called priority debts. They're not going to be dischargeable. And so, you know, there's just other certain things that we, if you came in for a consultation, we could talk to you about those or tell you about what those debts would be. But for the most part, people's medical bills, personal loans, credit card debts, they're all unsecured debts. And as long as they weren't incurred fraudulently, they're all going to generally be dischargeable. So, you know, and, and again, that's the discharge you're seeking in both a 7 or 13. Similarly, in both cases, you are going to be meeting with a person known as a trustee. The trustee is appointed over your case, and it's really his job to act to pay your creditors to the best of your ability in either of those cases. And how that happens is a difference in Chapter 7 or 13. But in each case, the trustee is appointed over your case, and they are seeking to do that. Let's give an example of who a trustee is. I. I think a lot of people think, oh, this person is, you know, you've got the judge and the clerks and the trustee is all in with the court. And we're like, no, not really. They're sort of a third party. They're not against you necessarily, but they're not on your side. So they kind of are the voice of the creditors. Right. They're kind of in the middle there. It's usually, it's another attorney usually who, you know, has been appointed to that position. They're not on your side, but they're kind of acting as if you would be, if you were, your intent was to pay your creditors to the best of your ability. But therefore, they also kind of advocate for the creditors. So you definitely don't want to call them. If you've got a question, you want to call your attorney. You don't want to call the trustee because they're not necessarily looking out for your best interests. So, And otherwise, they just kind of handle the case. They administrate. They administer the case. That's right. So the, in Chapter 7, what would happen is the trustee is looking for assets that they could liquidate. It's kind of called like a liquidation bankruptcy where they are seeing if you have anything that they could take and sell and then use the proceeds from that sale to pay off the creditors that, that, that need to be paid. Now, you don't need to worry about that. They're not going to look for the, not taking the shirt off your back. Bankruptcy is about a fresh start. So you get exemptions under the law, and those exemptions are basically in different categories. You can protect your assets up to a certain value. So that means for a house, you have a certain amount of equity you can protect. For a car, you've gotten a certain amount of equity to protect. Household goods up to a certain value. So there's categories for a lot of different things. Most people really, at the end of the day, don't have anything beyond those exemption values. So they're not at risk. Yeah, North Carolina's exemptions are, I mean, for people listening, they're maybe furiously typing to go look them up. Just know this, that they're fairly generous. They're not the best. They could be better. But for most people, they're good enough where, for example, a person could have up to 35000 of equity in their house. So if let's say when you bought your house, it was two hundred, And if you've lived in it five years and you only put like 
like mine, you'd FHA loan, you only put a 3% down, you're probably not at that equity yet, or it hasn't appreciated that much. And then there's still other things we can do to protect more, like the EAE. Right. And, we, and when we say the equity, obviously, that's the difference between what the house is now worth or the worth at the time of filing versus what your loan balance is or loan balances if you have more than one loan. And the important thing is we're going to know that in advance. We're going to be able to advise you as to whether this is a problem or not, because obviously you, the client, are going to be very truthful with us as your attorney. You're going to tell us everything. You're going to show us all your paperwork, and we're going to see all that stuff, and we'll be able to tell you this is a problem or this isn't a problem. So generally, you know, you are going to know going into your Chapter 7, you know, almost without exception, that there will be no problems, and that is why we're choosing to file you in a Chapter 7. Again, there are ex- exceptions to that. We might... There might be a situation where you need that Chapter 7 protection no matter what the consequences are, and you might sometimes be willing to live with the consequences of losing an asset, or you might be wanting the trustee to take an asset to liquidate it and sell it. But those are all you know, generally rarities, but they're all things we can plan for with the exemptions. So for other similarities, other players, same court, same meeting rooms, same judges, same clerks, you know, there's sort of like 80 or 90% this overlap. Just a different road. Right. And it's just a different, I mean, the trustee is going to be different generally for a chapter seven versus a chapter 13. But if the courts have opened back up, we're going back into court. You're going to go into the same room generally as for a seven versus a 13. And the same judge will be appointed over your case no matter what. And his job is kind of oversee the whole process as well. And if there's any disagreements between you, the debtor and your attorney and the trustee or any creditors, the judge is going to sort that out no matter whether it's a seven or a 13. So just like we were saying, so in a Chapter 7, there could be assets that the trustee might be interested in. The Chapter 7 is also for people who don't have, to put it simply, enough money to repay any of their creditors. There's what's called, for both chapters, a means test, which says, um, you know, based on the amount of money you make, and then you can deduct the kind of allowable deductions for debt that you might, secure debt that you might be paying, like a car or a house, or other allowable expenses, like a you know, food bill, housing bill, rent. Things like that, they've kind of decided this is what you should be spending. You deduct those things. And if you don't have any money left over, if you you take this test and it says you don't have any money left over to pay these creditors, that's when you qualify to do the Chapter 7 when you essentially don't have enough money to pay back any of these creditors. You actually automatically pass the means test if you are below the median income, which is kind of like, you know, the halfway point. And the state you reside in, which in North Carolina, for it depends on your household size as well. It goes up if you have more members of your household. But if you're below median, you don't even really have to take the test. You're automatically kind of presumed to not have any money left over. And you would qualify for that Chapter 7. And thankfully, you know, while bankruptcy is federal law, you know, there's the state and regional flavors. So like the median income, at least we're not all held to one standard because the median income in San Francisco or D.C. or New York would Actually, that, that, maybe that'd help our people now. <laughs> it might. But it, it's still based but on But in like, fairness to everyone, yeah, right. It's designed to be fairly fair. And also the test, it's not a scary thing where that's for your attorney to handle. The only thing you have to do is provide them the documents, bring your pay stubs, fill out the, the form with your budget, and we'll take it from there. And some people have liked this explanation of it, I guess, is when you do your taxes, your 1040, your EZ or your A, you put your income at the top, and then you get certain deductions that are just standard for everybody. And then, you know, ones that might be special just to you. And then at the end, it kind of tells you, hey, here's what you owe. Here's what you don't. And so it mirrors that pretty closely. And generally, it's quite fair. Once again, 
you get deductions. And it's not a test that you, the debtor, take. It's a test that we take for you based on the information you give us. And we advise people sometimes, well, you should do this or you should do that. And there's proper means test planning as to say, like, these are expenses you are allowed to incur and maybe you should incur to offset some of that income. So we look at all those things. The other chapter that we were talking about, chapter 13, not a liquidation chapter where you're looking to, you know, maybe have assets taken. It's instead, it's a more of a repayment plan bankruptcy where you are paying the trustee every month, generally for a period of about 36 to 60 months, depending on your circumstances, and you're paying the trustee. Now, you might be asking, why would I want to do a bankruptcy where I have to pay someone for three to five years, whereas I could just be done in a matter of months in the chapter seven? Well, there's a couple of good answers to that question. The first reason would be you have an asset that in chapter seven is at risk. It's worth more than you can protect with your exemption. So maybe your house has got $60,000 of equity instead of $30,000 of equity. And so in a chapter seven, we can tell you, listen, that trustee might come in there, try to sell your house. And he's going to take that money. He'll give you the first $30,000 for your exemption. But the next $30,000 he's going to keep and he's going to pay your creditors. So if you don't want to lose your house, maybe you should file a chapter 13 bankruptcy instead. Because in a chapter 13 bankruptcy, that gives you the option to say, I want to keep the asset and I will pay the chapter 13 trustee over the three to five years. I'll pay him the value that he would have gotten that the chapter seven trustee would have gotten in my chapter seven. I'll pay the chapter 13 trustee and I'll keep the asset. My creditors still get the money that they would have been entitled to. So that's one reason. I always like examples. And I was trying to think of a kind of one to sort of summarize this. So let's say someone had a car and their car payment was, let's say, $300 a month or something like that. So in a chapter seven, we would tell them, hey, look, is your car current? Okay, good. If it's current, then chapter seven is probably fine for you. You know, you keep paying your car directly. And at the end of your case, you just keep paying your car directly. That's if you want to keep it. In the chapter 13, maybe you pay your car directly. If it's current and it's all fine and also depends on your district, middle district, they do their own. But if the car was behind or something, then, as you said, you're paying the trustee for stuff you want to keep. So for there, you're not just losing money, you're paying the trustee this money every month, who's then turned around and paying car, mortgage, taxes, etc. You know, it's not money that evaporates, you're still getting credit for your stuff. And like at the end of your case, maybe that car's paid off. Right. And well, you've hit on a second reason why someone might want to file a chapter 13 bankruptcy, not only to protect an asset that might have been seized in a chapter seven, but a second reason would be you are behind on something. You're behind on your house. You're behind on your car. There might be a reason why you'd rather just one payment to creditors through the Chapter 13 trustee rather than paying a bunch of different creditors. So you can put those things all in the Chapter 13 and pay with one payment to the Chapter 13 trustee. He's going to pay for your car. He could pay for it in full if you fund your plan high enough. You can pay your mortgage payment for the duration of the bankruptcy in your Chapter 13 payment. It might be slightly more expensive that way just because of you know, other fees that are kind of involved with that way, but we can kind of crunch those numbers and you can decide that for yourself. Sometimes, though, we can also, we're really good at squeezing you know, dollars to help someone out. So even with the car, let's say they're- There may be a way you can pay less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. maybe their car you know, is a higher interest rate or something like that. Well, you know, we're, we can pay a lower interest rate through you know, the bankruptcy. So we get the till rate which is, you know, just a couple points above prime. Normally, the end result should be that this is more affordable for their budget than it would have been outside of bankruptcy. Right, and the, and the Chapter 13 bankruptcy, it has, those, it has special ability to pay maybe less than what you owe on a car loan, for example. 
or as you said, a lesser interest rate. And all those things, we can use the power of that Chapter 13 bankruptcy to accomplish that. And there's case law that has upheld our ability to do that. So that would be another good reason to file 13 and not, not a Chapter 7. Well, you did have a good point before then, though, too. And I was surprised when talking with people because I didn't think of it first. It was people mentioning it to me that they're like, no, I'm fine with the trustee handling all this stuff because I don't want to deal with XYZ. I almost said a couple names, but XYZ mortgage or bank or car lender anymore. I'd rather I'm done with them. They've been calling me. Let the trustee just deal with them all. And then I just have one payment because I think a lot of people always hated, you know, you get to the end of the month, you think you got money left. And then you're like, ah, you know, I forgot to pay this. Yeah, just that one monthly bill to the trustee is some for some people, yeah, satisfying. Yeah, so there's a lot of benefit to that. And again, as you said, because there's special power with that Chapter 13 trustee, we can actually, in some instances, pay less than what you owe. And you're still going to walk away at the end owning that car at the end of that five years outright, and you'll pay less than what you owed. So it's just something that we'd have to talk to you about and we'd have to see. A third reason would be, I talked before about that means test and what when you qualify for the Chapter 7 if you pass that means test. If you don't pass that means test, if you make too much money, this test ends up saying you, you know, got a little bit of money left over at the end of the month, you have to file a Chapter 13 in that case. That's the way that the law is written, and you have to kind of commit whatever the test tells you. If it says you have $100 left over or $200 left over at the end of the month, you'll have to commit that to your Chapter 13. That'll have to be part of that payment to the trustee is including $200 to go to your unsecured creditors. Now, we plan for that as well. We're going to take that test and we're going to advise you as to what you should be deducting and what you should be spending. And we'll, you know, we can kind of, we know tips and tricks for, for taking this test. So, you know, you can rest assured that we know how to make that test so it works for your budget and works for what you should be paying your creditors, but that you know that, you know that you're getting a fair, a fair number at the end of the day. So that would be another reason. Yeah, as much as I dislike the means test, you know, if we look back in history, we go back before 2005 and then earlier than that. Chapter 13, if I remember correctly, for many jurisdictions, you had to pay a certain percentage no matter what. Otherwise, it was bad faith. Like It could have been 25% period the end. And I'm kind of glad that's changed because, well, the means test sort of freaked us out at first. Once we got a handle of it and once we really understood it, we were like, okay, this is we can work with this. And then we Sort of right, we know how we can use this, yeah. Yeah, and we had less people than you would think who are you get a lot of people who are just paying none to unsecured creditors, even in the Chapter 13, because honestly, that's the correct solution for their budget. Right, and it's, these are people who don't have any assets that so they have to pay the value of, and the means test says they have to pay nothing to their unsecured creditors. They might be choosing to file Chapter 13 anyway, because as we talked about, you can have one payment. You can choose to pay for a house or car in the plan. It might be a little bit less expensive for you. All those things are other attractive reasons why you might want to file for a Chapter 13. The final reason that I can really, in terms of you know, a simple approach think of would be there's a better discharge in Chapter 13 than in a Chapter 7. There are simply some things in Chapter 13 that you can get by filing Chapter 13 that you can get rid of that you can't in a Chapter 7. The biggest one we see is, you know, one of the biggest ones would be property settlement through divorce, you know, you have that obligation to pay those things. In a chapter seven, you're not discharging that obligation. In a chapter 13, if that becomes unaffordable to you, we can talk about if it's the right situation, you may be able to use the chapter 13 to say, I can't afford my obligations under this decree. And you could, in theory, discharge that. There's a number of other things that in a chapter 13, you may be able to discharge that you can't in a chapter seven as well. So those would be the really, the you know, the main 
reasons why people would choose or, or have to file a Chapter 13 as opposed to a Chapter 7. Some of them get pretty specific, and those are the reasons why people hire an attorney is because there's a lot of small exceptions and there's a lot of small maneuvers that can make a big difference. And so the, like the super, super discharge really can be clutch and save someone tens of thousands of dollars. And I tried thinking of just one other small difference, but it doesn't affect a lot of people, but it is something, I guess it matters more this year than most is with small businesses going out is sometimes people, if you have a small business, you know, maybe it's a sole prop or something like that, or a partnership, sometimes they have more debt than the average person. And that's where maybe the debt limits might start to come into play. Although the debt limits on a chapter 13 are still pretty generous and increase every three or four years with inflation. It doesn't matter often, but, you know, when it does come into play, they no limit on the chapter seven. That can be a nice thing. That is, it's a pretty high number. It's over 300,000. So it's, uh, you know, it's not going to affect most, most people that, that we see, but certainly it's something to keep in mind. One last thing I guess to touch on is some people might think that when they file a case that they are saying, I'm stuck with this. And that's not necessarily the case, no pun intended, because, you know, we have a thing called conversion, which generally we see people moving from 13 to 7, but that might just be because chapter 13s are three, four, five years. So it's a bigger a range of time for something in someone's situation to change. So what might be a common way where two years into someone's case, we might want to convert to their benefit? So yeah, somebody might file a chapter 13 because they've got too much in, you know, not too much, but they obviously have enough income where they don't pass the means test when they come in to see us and they've got some income that they've got to commit to their creditors. Well, for other reasons, maybe they have a job loss or maybe they have some other allowable expense come up that they didn't anticipate at the time of their original filing, we can convert their case from a Chapter 13 to a Chapter 7 if they have a good faith basis for doing so and essentially say, you know, I'm no longer able, because of my unanticipated change in circumstances, I no longer can do this and I, and I need the discharge of the Chapter 7 without being able to complete my three or five year plan that I originally proposed. And that's allowable. The trustee is going to ask you some questions about it again. But again, you generally have the right to convert based on that change of circumstances. You just have to talk to your attorney about it. It can also, this is still something for someone to talk with their attorney and they'll start negative, but then it'll get positive is I've had older clients who had sort of permanent medical issues or something where I'll give you an example, Durham case, and this guy had had cancer. And we filed him in a chapter 13. And it was, it was sort of borderline between seven and 13. And 13 had a little more benefit. And so that was the route we went. But I get a call a few years in and his cancer had come back and he's fighting and he's doing his best. And he's also stressed out about all this new medical debt. And I was like, okay, let's see if we can at least take that stress off your plate. How about you focus on getting better? We can convert your case and have that nice little perk of catching that new debt because, or it had another a trucker who had, had a heart attack, and those medical bills were up there. We're talking tens of thousands and starting with the seven or an eight or a nine. Right. So with the, it's a strange quirk of the law that the, if you convert, it still relates back to the time that you originally filed your case. But it also brings forward 
and catches any other debt you've incurred during that time, and it will, on a conversion from a 13 to a 7, will still discharge any of that new debt, even though it kind of still counts your filing date as the day you originally filed your 13. So that is an example of sometime that would be beneficial to a debtor to maybe start in a 13, convert to a 7 later if something like that happens. Yeah, it was very much sort of um, an ace up the sleeve where, you know, if we need to play this, we can play this. So, uh, Matt, one of my favorite questions is, given the oddness and uncertainty and everything else that's happened over this past year, what would be your advice to sort of North Carolinians like right now or for people who are struggling with debt? You know, what would you tell them? Certainly come in and talk to us. We have a free consultation if you're struggling. But, you know, obviously it's not your fault. The situation is beyond everybody's control, and we're all, we're all struggling. We're all unhappy with things. There's a way out. We can talk to you about Chapter 13, consolidating those debts, making one payment, and getting rid of the ones you don't necessarily need to pay. And we can talk about what's the fair and equitable outcome to you. And so that's what I would definitely recommend to anybody who's struggling with debt. Come in and talk to us, and we can see if we can help you out. And we are able to help out hundreds and thousands of people over the years. So that would be my advice. Thank you so much, Matt. We'll talk another time. Thank you, Sean. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Orcut Answers. To learn more about today's discussion or to schedule a consultation with one of our attorneys, visit our website at billsbills.com or call us day or night at 888-234-4190. The insights and views presented in Orcut Answers are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. We are a debt relief agency. We help people file for bankruptcy relief under the bankruptcy code. If you're ready to talk to someone who understands what you're going through, contact the law offices of John T. Orcutt today 